morning, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Our text this morning will be found in chapter 6, uh, verses 30 through 44. In our series, what I call Marked for a Mission. I love that song we just sang. Alistair Begg said it is one of the few songs um, that are written recently that we will be singing and will stand the test of time a um, hundred years from now. I don't think we'll be singing it, but hopefully someone will. And he says it in that great Scottish brogue, too. Um, welcome, welcome, every single one of you. Happy day before 4th of July. Can I encourage you, um, as, as you will be feasting um, and feeding tomorrow, uh, celebrating our, our nation's freedom, our nation's birthday, may, may I encourage you to pause throughout today, tomorrow, this weekend, to pray for our country specifically. Um, it, it does no good to just criticize and attack. We, we, we are instructed in scripture to pray for our leaders. And I would encourage you to do that and to do that faithfully. We live in a country that, that is just filled with people in just utter terror and confusion. And um, we offer, we are to offer um, truth um, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is why it is so important for us to do that um, in prayer and through prayer for our country. With that thought, would you bow your heads, please, and uh, pray with me. Father, we do come into your presence, acknowledging your authority and your reign and rule over us. We acknowledge, Lord, your grace, uh, common grace that is poured out every day. We are grateful, Lord, for your mercies that are new every day, for your love um, that is unconditional that you love us when we and ourselves are just just horribly unlovable we we delight in you we praise you lord that as we just sang that there is there is hope to have relationship with you in a close intimate way through the work of christ and christ alone and we pause lord on that truth and we just bask and bathe in the glory of the cross Father, I, I thank you for your word that is just perfect. It's powerful, God, and we have now a privilege to have it opened before us. And, and God, I, I need to hear a word from you, and I would pray, Lord, that you would use me any way you see fit to speak your word to uh, these uh, men and, and women and, and boys and girls that are here this morning. Father, we, we do thank you for the amazing graces that you've lavished on us, for the freedoms that we enjoy, our country. But we pray, Lord, we pray, Lord, for our leaders. We pray, Lord, for those that just live every day and, and wake up in terror. We pray, Lord, for those that have lost loved ones in, in, in Dhaka, Istanbul, and, and Orlando recently. And we pray, Lord, that in, in all of that chaos, that you would allow us to be salt that seasons and light that brightens, that we offer one message and one message alone, that is the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, help us to do that and to do that well. May we do it for your glory. God, please fill me up now with your spirit and allow me to be poured out for your glory. 
Guide us, open our, our eyes to see and our ears to hear. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. Amen and amen. Okay, we have been tracking our way um, with Jesus uh, throughout the Gospel of Mark. We have been following very, very closely. We've been looking in and listening to a message of truth. And Jesus is on mission. His mission is to set people free. We have seen him display and, and his followers, his disciples, display amazing power, freeing people from diseases, from demons, and even from death. And, and, and they free people through the message of the gospel, which is the exact same message that we have. We have a vision to, to see our lives and community transformed through the gospel. It's the same gospel that Jesus literally is, is changing lives all around him, lives that need to be changed. T- today, in our text, we get a glimpse of what is referred to in the Old Testament as Jehovah Jireh, which is the, the Lord who provides. Now, every single one of us can give testimony of how God has provided for us. The graces that he has poured out to provide for us spiritually, to rescue us from ourselves and our, and, our, and our sinfulness, to be in relationship with a holy God through the work of Jesus. God has rescued us emotionally. God has rescued us and provided for us physically. And I could ask every one of us have testimonies and stories of how God has just provided for us. And for some reason, when God provides for us, we, we do not forget how God just 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 arrived and, and poured out everything that we needed. Um, I, I, I remember the time so clearly. Many years ago, we were a young married couple. And it was, it was the day before Thanksgiving, 1990. Um, Wendy was almost eight months pregnant with our oldest son, Seth. And we were driving um, from Washington, D.C., to Boston, Massachusetts to, to be with family and spend time together. And, and it was late at night and we were on a road and, and, and it happened. I remember the 1983 Aries K car. Oh, what a beautiful piece of machinery. And it, it let us down. It broke down. We were in a place, I never heard of it, Bedford, New York. I can, I can still remember the place, just lots of trees. And, and we kind of coasted off of the accident. We coasted with smoke literally just pouring out into a gas station. It was just literally just about to close. There's no mechanics around. There's no taxis to take. There's no hotels. There's, there's nothing there. And, and we were talking and the guy looks quickly at the car. He says, you can't go any further. This is it. It's done. And I remember there was one young man and he was sitting, he, he, was, he was waiting for something and he was listening to this conversation. I'm like, yeah, but, but, but we don't have like any place to go. And, and, and Wendy was with child, she's large. And, and, and he said, remember this, the, the guy said, you guys sound like you're in a little bit of a pickle. And he used that term, you're in a little bit of a pickle. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of what we're in, a little bit of a pickle. <laughs> and he literally, he says, hey, listen, why don't you come home with me? 
complete stranger. Wendy, who was making like her 19th trip to the bathroom, walked by and she said this, you better make this one right. You better, better make the right call on this one. And, and so I listened to him, I talked to him, and I said, okay, we have no options. We'll go home with you. A complete stranger will go to your home to spend the night. Now, I remember that I didn't realize Bedford, New York is actually right next to Greenwich, Connecticut. And he lived in Greenwich, Connecticut. And on one side of his home was Mick Jagger, okay? And on the other side, uh, his other neighbor was Ivan Lendl, the tennis great at the time. And, and we stayed in between those two in his home. And God provided in an amazing way. And they were an Irish Catholic family. And to tell you the truth, we were sitting there and, and his mother and his grandmother had, had been there. And, and it's clear they had been drinking for most of the night. And they kept, they kept calling us Mary and Joseph. They thought that when he was, your name's Mary because she's with child. You have no place to go. I'm like, yeah, that's, we're just Mary and Joseph. And, and I never forget how God just, we're completely, we have no options. And God provides and, and, and enabled us to be rescued. That in a sense, today we will see the Lord provide like nothing we have ever seen before. Now, there are, there are many miracles recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But do you realize that there are only two miracles that are recorded in all four of the Gospels? Only two miracles. One of them, clearly the most important miracle of all time, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the second miracle is this one, the feeding of of the 5,000. Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 6, Luke 9, and John chapter 6. This is a very familiar story. If you have attended Sunday school ever at all, you've probably heard this story about the little boy with five loaves and two fishes. It is, it is that story, this narrative I direct your attention to this morning. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. We pick it up. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even, even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and, and got there ahead of them. When he, speaking of Jesus, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them, send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and and give it to them to eat? And and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, five and, and two fish. 
Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men, 5,000 men. By far, as Jesus has been ministering in the Galilean region, this is by far the, the largest miracle by, by way of sheer size and scope. The crowd alone measures 5,000 men. Actually, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 14 indicates and adds a very important detail. It says 5,000 men besides women and children. So I want you to think of that number, 5,000 plus their wives, their mothers who were there, and children running to and fro. It is actually estimated to be a crowd numbered somewhere between 20 to 25,000 people. The sheer provision of that amount of food for that, that many people is just staggering. We begin, and, and we know first and foremost what there is, there is the dilemma that exists here. There is, is a dilemma. It says the apostles returned and told him all that they had done and taught. Now we've got to just back up a little bit. You remember the first part of chapter six that Jesus Christ had been the only one doing the ministry, doing all the teaching, all the preaching, all the healing, answering all of the questions. And to multiply, in a sense, his work he sent out, what, his 12 disciples. He sent them out in, 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 in groups of two. Sent them out two by two. They've been on this short-term missionary trip, so to speak, for a while. We don't know exactly how long. I'm imagining several weeks at the most. And they are returning from doing ministry. And we know that there has been significant impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Miracles have been performed. They've been teaching and healing. And what? They come back and they are literally exhausted in every way. There's been an explosion of the gospel throughout this entire region. And the disciples return and they report. They give a debrief. Every detail that has happened on their trip and Jesus very quickly picks up on the fact that what? They are exhausted. So the dilemma first and foremost is what? The disciples are in need of rest. The disciples are in need of rest. Jesus knows this. He can read the body language. He sees their feet dragging. And what he suggests is that they go to a secluded place with no people, no one around, just to get refreshed and, and, and re recharged. How aware, how sensitive Jesus was. I think as well as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have to be as equally aware and sensitive to where other people are at. We have to learn to read when someone's exhausted. Rather than just what, taking and taking and taking and expecting. We have to understand that there's a sensitivity that Jesus is displaying, looking out for and caring for his disciples. We need to do exactly the same thing. I just, I just filled in with Wendy 
um, in a Sunday school class, over Sunday school hour. I rarely get a chance to do that. I think after being in that class, we need to give all of our Sunday school teachers like, like paid vacation, a cruise or something. There's a lot of work in ministering to people and Jesus senses that. Instruction is what, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. They went away to, the, uh, to a desolate. The word is Saruman Tapman. It means lonely place with nothing else around, a place by themselves. And you know the feeling. You, you know when you're exhausted at the end of a day, end of a week, end of a month, and you're just looking for what? A little seclusion, a little isolation, something what? Wonderful, restful, peaceful. Disciples got into a boat, they head out, perhaps they, they had spied uh, their destination, a grassy knoll, a shady spot near the shore. Maybe they're talking about stringing up some hammocks to get some, 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 some rest. It, it says that there's a place, three of the four gospels actually say that there's grass in this location and Mark is the only one. Remember, Peter's telling this story to Mark, mentioned specifically that there's green grass. It's a fresh place. I, I wonder if they are what mindful or reminiscent of the psalmist. In Psalm chapter 23 that says what? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Leads me beside still waters. And what? And restores my soul. These men needed their souls restored. And, and so, so that was the plan. That was the destination. That's where they're heading. It was the plan, or so uh, they thought. But what verse 33 indicates, even before they got to the shore, even, even before the boat reaches the edge, it says what many people saw them. It says many recognized them and ran and got there ahead of them. Now this is where Jesus responds in a way that is totally different, I think, than the way that you and I would respond. I think it's certainly different even than the way the, the, the disciples responded. Now, now, when you are tired, when you are exhausted, exasperated, you're at the end of your rope, you're looking for what? The vacation spot is, is right there. How, in a sense, do you receive other people? Now, there is there is no doubt that we are called to what to extend grace to one another, and we we work hard on doing that. Every single one of us. And what I have found is this: is that we will extend grace and extend grace, and and there is always a line that we draw that say we will extend grace. We'll listen, we'll care for, we'll comfort, we'll minister up to a certain point. There's always what seems to be a limit to our grace. And wherever that line is, okay, we'll do that. We'll, 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 ex, we'll extend grace. But what I have found is that as soon as I get to where that line is, and that's it, that's all I have. I can offer nothing more. I always, always have taught, and I believe that God wants us to just go one step further. Wherever we make that line, I believe that, that God actually will empower us, equip us to just extend a little more 
grace. And that's what Jesus, we are followers of Jesus. That's what he's modeling for us. That's what he's showing us how to receive those who are in need. I think it's pretty obvious. You don't have to be a, a, a brain surgeon to figure out. The disciples aren't quite feeling the same way. The only comments that they make, verse 35, two comments. This is after a while. This is a desolate place, negative. This is late in the day, negative. Next comment in verse 36, send them away. I think the disciples are feeling oftentimes like you and I feel. Come on, Jesus, like really? Like there's limits to what we can do here and, and not Jesus. We saw first the disciples are in need of rest. Secondly, the people, the crowds here are in need of truth. Secondly, the people are in need of truth. It says that when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Now that's obvious. Literally, they're coming from towns and villages because they recognize probably the same boat that they've been using and everyone knew who they were. They get to, to, to the shore. They recognize what, who is there. They're expecting more. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And then there's this next phrase, five words. And you need to, you need to see these words written before. You need to hear them. You need to, to breathe them in deep. Five words that we need, I need in ministry. Here it is. Went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and what? He had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. That is not me in my flesh when I am exhausted. And you know what? I don't think I'm the only one in this room who struggles with showing compassion to those who are in need when we are right at the very line of how much grace we have to offer. Um, Luke actually gives, in Luke chapter 9, verse 11, um, gives a description that Jesus was actually welcoming them. Can you just imagine the exasperation on the disciples as, as Jesus enthusiastically reaches out for them? He's welcoming them. He had compassion. It's a really difficult word, Greek word, splagnizomi, that literally means this. It translates that your bowels yearn or it aches, which means that Jesus felt in the very pit of his stomach, in his gut, in his belly. He ached for them and he was moved with compassion. No, honestly, we just don't do that. We don't offer that. We don't feel that. Why? It says specifically in verse 34, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, a very descriptive term that is used. As a matter of fact, it's used repeatedly in the Old Testament to describe um, the nation of Israel who has wandered. Second, uh, First Kings chapter 22, Second Chronicles chapter 18, Ezekiel chapter 34, all use this term that they are like sheep without a shepherd. Well, I was, I was determined this week to do my research and, 
and homework on this. And, and I discovered, I was introduced by a man who is from New Zealand. His name is Godfrey Bowen. And, and he literally is a sheep expert. I didn't even know that they existed. He, he traveled literally the world for more than 30 years consulting and conducting research, teaching even his famous shearing method, which is known as the Bowen Technique today, just in case any of you are wondering. Little point of interest, he actually set the world record for shearing 559 sheep in a nine-hour day. This is the guy that I went to to read his stuff just for you, okay? What's interesting is that he talks about the value, how important of an animal a sheep is. And it's interesting that we are oftentimes described in the word of God as sheep. Uh, There's probably, Bowen writes, no other animal in the world which is so completely useful. In addition to its wool for clothing, meat for food, hoof, horn, and bone for fertilizer, and lanolin, which is the grease from the wool for ointment and cosmetic. It gives fresh life to the soil, turns grass into protein by natural feeding quicker and better than any other animal. Under good management, gives man a satisfying livelihood. And what's interesting is that Bowen talked about the part that he would literally sit in sheep pens for hours at a time and he would watch the shepherd in his, in his handling of the sheep. And he writes this, and I quote, from spending hours in sheep pens with shepherds, watching how they deal. Sheep without a shepherd, he concludes, will simply die. They cannot feed themselves. They cannot protect themselves. Even if they get on their backs, they can't put themselves back on their feet. Somebody has to clean them. Somebody has to feed them. Somebody has to pick out of their lanolin-filled wool the bugs and the thorns that bother them and irritate them. Someone has to care for them. Someone has to keep them in a safe place. Someone has to provide a place for them to drink. A sheep is useless apart from a shepherd. And that is the exact term that Jesus uses when he sees these people wandering. What does it say? The very first thing, they're utterly helpless. They are utterly hopeless. What's the very first thing that he does? You can read in verse 34. He began to teach them many things. Now you can be assured this is not, okay, this is not like a 10-minute devo that, that our world is used to. This is what he begins to teach and to preach a long message, something that you guys are slowly trying to figure out how to do. Listen to a long message. And, and he goes, what? Perhaps taking them back to the Old Testament to speak about the prophecies, to the fact that what? He is the fulfillment of these prophecies, that he is the one to introduce them to the kingdom of God. That he's the one that they've been looking for. That he's the Messiah. Perhaps Jesus, in a sense, taught them what? How to be meek. How to be humble. Perhaps even repeating some of what he had taught earlier. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the pure in heart. Perhaps repeating some of the same things over and over and over again. Teaching them the importance of what? Following him, obeying him, which means repenting from sin. 
Jesus, Jesus was teaching them the importance of, of trusting him. Jesus teaches truth that what? Literally, just like a shepherd cleans the sheep. Jesus teaches truth that can clean the hearts and the souls of those that are listening. Jesus teaches truth that nourishes, that feeds and strengthens them, that protects them, that leads them to safety and to eternal life. That's Jesus' first response. He feels it in his gut out of care and compassion for them. We see the dilemma what the disciples are in need of rest, and we know that people are in need of truth, and everyone, everyone, thirdly, is in need of food. There's no doubt about that. It says that this is a desolate place. It says the hour is late. Luke chapter 9 describes it, I think, very, very clear. The day began to wear away. You, you've, you've had those types of days as the sun has already set. It's been a long day and it's just the day has, has worn away. You have the oh-so-encouraging word from the disciples. It's desolate, it's lonely here, there's nothing here, it's late now, send them away. Now, now remember, this is not a little problem. Why? Because this is not a little group of people, it's not a little, little, little crowd. There's no quick solution here. There's no 24-hour drive-through. There's no catering company to call. There's, there's not even any plans for a picnic. They didn't realize this. This is what? A massive crowd with a massive problem. You get, you get 5,000 hungry men in one place, and it is not pleasant. I can assure you of that. This is where, this is where what? This is God's common grace. These people didn't have to pass the spiritual litmus test when, when God's grace enters. Just like every single one of us, we all enjoy the beauty of, of, of creation, the beauty of God's provision. We don't deserve that. God just lavishly pours out, gives to us in his, in his grace, breath in our lungs for one more day. The, the, the beauty of falling in love with your spouse. God, God's common grace is all over every part, everywhere we look. These, these people are being introduced to that. Disciples have a negative comment. It's desolate. It's late. Give them, send them away. And, and I love Jesus' comment here. I think he, in a sense, he prods them on to good works. Why don't you give them something to eat? And you kind of wonder if there's not some eye-rolling that's going on. And, and they say, so do we spend 200 denarii? Some actually translate, do we spend eight months worth of, of wages to buy food when that wouldn't even begin to touch? It couldn't scratch the surface about the need. Jesus inquires, well, how much, how much do you have? Go and see. Go, go and see what's out there. I, I do think that there is Almost, it's a sense of humor when one of the gospels records it's Andrew who comes up and he's, and he's got this little boy's lunch with him. Perhaps the boy is with him. Well, we've got five loaves. It actually, it's not like the Wonder Bread bag of, of bread that we would think, okay, this is not a full loaf. It actually translates, it's more like a biscuit, a little small biscuit. Five little biscuits or, or five crackers and, and two fish, probably salted or, or pickled. 
the only boy whose mom was smart enough to actually send him with some food and let's take his lunch. That's, that's the idea. With what? A sea of people. It's like standing up at a baseball stadium with one hot dog and bun saying, that's okay, we're good. We're good. It just, it just it makes no sense. We move from the dilemma, thankfully, to the delight. Wherever and whenever Jesus is there, takes what? Our dilemmas and turns them into delights. Here it is. It says that he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass, 50 and, and hundreds, somewhat reminiscent of what, what father-in-law Jethro told Moses back in Exodus, I think it's 18. Sit everyone down. We're going to make some order out of this. And everyone listens. Everyone obeys and, and kind of separates and, and they sort out into groups of 50s and, and hundreds. It says, taking the loaves, the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Basically, he just gave thanks. Wait, wait a minute, but there was only this. You mean we're just, we're giving thanks for this? There's this whole crowd and there's just this little bit? And yet Jesus models how we are to give thanks, even for the little bits. He gave thanks, he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Now, I, I want you to pause. As he passes out bread, I, I want you to understand this. He is passing out bread made from barley or wheat that was never grown. He, he made bread that was made from, from barley or wheat that never was harvested. He's passing out fish that never swam. He's passing out fish that, that were, was not caught. It didn't need to be caught. Why? Because Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. I read one commentator this week I described. I love the phrase. He said, this is as close as we have right here, this glimpse right here to uncursed food which would go all the way back to what Adam and Eve were probably enjoying in the Garden of Eden. It was that perfect. You know, I was remindful of is is John chapter 2. Jesus at the wedding of Cana, remember, um, they ran out of wine. And and Mary comes up to Jesus and say, oh yeah, by the way. And and we know that there was a very careful instruction, fill the pots up with, with water and Jesus turned the water into wine. I love what it says in verse 10 of John chapter two. The master of the feast said to the bridegroom, why have you kept the good wine until now? We've been partying. They don't know what they're drinking. Give them the garbage. But no, 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 no. The, the, the good wine. Why? Because when God provides, he provides the very best, the very best. It says that they all ate and were satisfied. It's a, it's a challenging word. There's several different renditions. One of, the, one of the translations for that word satisfied literally was gorged. That they had ate until they were stuffed. What a picture. Now, there's no doubt. We're not going to stretch it. There's no doubt that, that verse 42 is a direct reference to what? Physical filling. 
They were hungry. They ate. They are now, what? Their, their stomachs are stuffed. Their bellies are satisfied. They're good. It's a physical filling. But I, I want you to understand that the truth remains. When you trust Jesus to provide for your needs, then and only then will you be satisfied. Now, there's a far greater need. There's a far more important need that any of us have for food. And just like that crowd in Mark chapter 6, what, just like the crowd had a need, we too have a need that only Jesus can satisfy. And that is what? That is the need for forgiveness of our own sins. Now, before I conclude, I want you to see, and what's interesting is that all four gospel accounts tell of this. Mark kind of ends here, somewhat abrupt. In John chapter 6, it actually records kind of in, in addendum to the events of the next day. So what happens basically is that all the people there, it's late in the day, they have now eaten everything, and they sleep there. Many of them just stay there. They wake up in the morning, they realize that the disciples in Jesus are gone. And we're going to look at this next week where the disciples get in the boat and, and Jesus walks on the water. And so what these people do is they wake up and they're looking for Jesus. It says literally they're seeking Jesus. They get in their boats and they go and they find him on the other side of the lake in Capernaum. And what's interesting is that, guess what? They're looking for breakfast too. Literally, they're looking like this is so good. We want more of it. And what's interesting is that Jesus does not does not give it to them. Jesus says this, it's recorded in, in John chapter 6 and verse 26. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And then what he does is that he points and he prods them. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. These people were doing exactly what you and I do all the time. We want the blessing of Jesus. God bless me, watch over me, provide for me, but we don't want Jesus. In, in just a couple verses, Later in John chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus makes this statement. He says, I am the bread of life. What? Whoever comes to me shall not be hungry. You see, you see the, the lesson here is that we are just looking to have our bellies filled rather than our souls saved. Jesus is always more concerned about your soul than he is your body. Jesus is always more concerned about your soul than your body. And so he, he, he teaches an amazing lesson here. The delight is this. Remember this. It's interesting. We move from John chapter 6 to John chapter 10. Jesus actually makes a statement. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus died so you could live. The, the delight of the message is this. Oftentimes they say, let's hold on to this. Take this with you. Put it in your pocket. Take home so you understand. Remember this this morning. Only 
Jesus, the good shepherd, can provide and satisfy the greatest need in our life. And that is what? It's not breads. Okay, it's not a new car. It's not a house. It's not a job. The greatest need in our life is the need for forgiveness from our own sins. The good shepherd died so you could live. And we are confronted with how God provides forgiveness. Do, 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 you, do you know that? Do you know that you have been provided for? That there is a, a means, there is a way made possible for you and I as sinful, broken men and women to have a close, intimate, personal relationship with a holy God by acknowledging what the good shepherd Jesus did for us. By, by feeding on what? On the bread of life. By owning what? His work. By claiming His work to free us. Have you eaten? And are you satisfied? Lastly, I think it's so neat that this little comment in verse 43, it says that they took up 12 baskets full. I, I always thought that those 12 baskets were like a laundry basket, like, okay, 12 big baskets. You know what's interesting is those baskets really were not that big. They, they actually talk about the fact that it was more like a, 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 a lunch box, like a, a satchel. It was an individual basket. And, and I thought, how amazing. Wait a minute, didn't the whole story start with 12 guys that needed a break? Twelve guys that were just hungry. They didn't even have time to stop and eat. And at the end of all of this, what does Jesus do? He sends each one of them home with their own little lunch satchel, their own little lunch box. Why? Because Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides, the good shepherd provides. Father, we love you and we thank you for this reminder of your care, your compassion, your ministry. Help us to hear it anew and to apply the truth of knowing, Lord, that it's not just about having our bellies filled and physical blessing. It's about spiritual healing and filling through what Jesus has done. Help us, Lord, to accept that, to live by that, and to tell others about it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.